0: Welcome to Voices in Physics, a podcast that explores the culture in physics through interviews with people in the field. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about your experiences in physics and and your your take on the culture. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners?
1: Yeah, thank you for inviting me to talk uh, and to share part of my story. I am a white woman professor at a large R1 university.
0: And you did your undergrad, postdoc, would you like to vaguely describe? Yeah,
1: so I also went to a large R1 public university as an undergrad. I went to a moderately sized private institution for grad school and did two postdocs at sort of the small private institution
0: and a large R1 public institution. So to to get us started what got you interested in physics and pursuing it as a career? All right so I really really liked
1: math as a kid. Uh Math was my number one um, thing that I enjoyed doing and was really good at. Um, So you know In elementary school, we had to do time tests for, like, multiplication, division, and stuff. And I wanted to be first, always. Uh, And I just liked math ideas, and I still do. Um, One of my parents is a scientist, and typically the kids of scientists, especially the daughters of scientists, are disproportionately likely to become scientists themselves. So that's how I got into it as math. So then... As a sort of preteen, I became interested in reading books about constellations. Not really sure why. I really like the stories behind the naming of constellations, but then always at the back of the constellation guides there's a little bit about the physics of stars and I thought that was super interesting um, and so I became more interested in the back part of the book than the front I mean to this day I could maybe identify three constellations in the sky I mean it's really bad we take our kid to the planetarium and I am totally hopeless <laughs> so that was interesting to me Uh, I also got really into Star Trek around that point, but I basically skipped high school. I did a special program uh, to go directly from middle school to college, but there was like a one-year boot camp uh, where we're supposed to learn all that we, the essential elements of high school to be successful college students, Um, and so... One of the courses in our curriculum was physics, and I was actually really not very good at it interesting. then. I thought it was really interesting. Um, the physics professor had us read these books before we even came there uh, about different ideas in physics and math, and those were really cool. I really enjoyed those, but then when it came to actually you know, take the class, I didn't do that great. Turns out that I really needed the language of calculus to understand things, and so when I took... Calculus, then at at university, and was taking physics concurrently, suddenly a bunch of things clicked because I suddenly had this language of math to understand these ideas in physics. And I very quickly became mostly interested in astrophysics, uh, which is sort of where I've stayed since Mm -hmm.
0: then. Cool. And did you have any role models? You said one of your parents was a scientist. Did that help? Um,
1: I think what was really important. Uh, about that is that I had a lot of resources available to me that other kids who maybe might've been interested in math and science as kids, if given the opportunity didn't have. So, you know, my parent was able to uh, provide, um, you know, extra math help um, outside of school uh, so I could explore more advanced topics. We were only allowed to watch educational programming except for Saturday mornings. Um, When I was a kid, there was a show on PBS called Square One, which was about math. And so I still show, when I teach, I show video clips from that, aside from the fact that they're these hilariously 80s-style videos. It was really good at teaching math, too. So to me, that was important when I was young, was that my parents really had a very, you know, what I will call... uh, education-focused set of books and toys and way of talking that was important. But then I didn't really see essentially any women physicists at all until, like, my junior year of college when I took um, astronomy for the first time and had two women professors. That was, like, the first time in my STEM career that I'd seen women faculty in STEM.
0: Yeah, one of the things I like to ask people is, were you aware of the gender gap when you first got interested in in science or physics?
1: Um, I mean, I could see with my eyes, you know, in my intro classes that there were not many women. But when I was a kid, I was often in very male-dominated environments. My whole family is very religious. I am not anymore. But as it happened, my cohort in church was mostly boys. Mm -hmm. And I have two younger brothers and... My sister wasn't born until I was into elementary school. So I was used to being in these male-dominated environments. So even though I could look around and notice, like, oh, there aren't that many women there. And, you know, it's pretty obvious. um, It wasn't,
0: like... Unusual. Yeah. What was it like to have these two women professors in your undergrad?
1: I mean, it was just, like, pretty startling, especially the second one was sort of like a second year assistant professor and basically look like maybe she should still be in school herself. I remember the first day of class I was just so surprised that she was like the person in charge. And uh, the sort of problems she worked on I thought were really interesting. The class was
0: one of the most interesting classes I took as an undergrad. And you say you were surprised that she was the person in charge. Is there perhaps a way in which you might have maybe doubted her authority? That's kind of a leading question. <laughs> uh, I don't think
1: so. Okay. Um, I mean, she was so brilliant, and despite, you know, looking like she belonged on the other side of the class. <laughs> <laughs> you know, once she opened her mouth, there was like,
0: no, you know, it was clear who was boss. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Is it possible that she might have been a role model for you?
1: Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, and it's still a case where I've talked with her in years after and Often after talking to her, I feel like my perspective on things has shifted and, you know, it's always helpful to talk to her because mm-hmm. it sort of recenters me and helps me look forward.
0: That's um, great. Yeah. So one of the things I'm interested in these recordings is um, you come into physics, you're enthusiastic about the topic, you feel like um, this is something you're good at. But for most women and minorities, there's a there's a point at which you feel very discouraged, Mm -hmm. oftentimes for reasons that have nothing to do with the quality of your work or your performance. Do you have any incidents like that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, not having done that well in physics and my boot camp year um, made me. So part of what one of the consequences of that is that I didn't take the honors intro physics class at my university I thought well maybe you know I should learn a little bit of calculus first and so I delayed taking physics by a quarter so I could take calculus first and maybe if I'd been more confident I would have taken physics and math concurrently or maybe tried the honors version but I just didn't didn't think I could do it you know and after having done well in my intro Classes, I thought, well, maybe I can hack this after all. And so I took a ton of physics and related classes and did really well in them, often but not always having the highest overall score in the class, but still, you know, still feeling, I would say, some of the doubts that had come from earlier. But my first experience of really doubting myself came uh, as a grad student. So I went to a very prestigious grad program and really wanted to do theoretical physics at the time, but came in without really knowing any quantum field theory or any advanced topics and quickly feeling like I was way behind my classmates. And I basically had imposter syndrome severely the whole time I was in grad school and also was probably suffering from decently bad Depression, except not really knowing that that was what it was until later. And so, my main memory of grad school I mean, I had a lot of really good experiences in grad school, but when I think back on grad school, the main emotion that grad school evokes was just the sense of dread. I mean, there were a lot of good things in grad school, like my advisor was really great. Um, I met my spouse there. I made a lot of lifetime friends there. But when I think back, on it, the main
0: emotion I feel is dread, which I think says something. (laughs) Where was this dread coming from? I mean, at some, you come in feeling like you're behind. Yeah. Does that last the end? Do you think you're behind the entire time?
1: Yeah. So one of the things I did was I switched advisors toward the end of my third year of grad school, because I felt like I just was not hacking it in the group I was in. But again, I spent a long time being miserable and not understanding why until I had this like, sudden aha moment where I was like, I've got to make a change because this, what I'm doing is not sustainable. Um, and then I switched advisors. But then my program cuts off funding after a certain point unless your advisor decides out of the goodness of their heart or programmatically to keep paying. So I always felt like there was this ticking clock from the moment I started till when I graduated. I just felt like there was this ticking clock. So when I switched thesis advisors, you know, three years into a five year funding period, I just like super freaked out and just was working all the time and just feeling behind again because I had no papers and there was something I should have turned into a paper. But I felt like, you know, I was so far behind that I really
0: had to just switch I just always felt the ticking of the clock. <laughs> I see. Would you mind if I ask you questions about oh, go ahead. Depression and yeah, imposter go syndrome. Because you say that one of the things, something clicked for you, and that you seem to imply that that click was I need to change groups. Mm-hmm. Did you ever talk to anyone about depression, or did you see help there? Was it no,
1: I didn't even, you know, it's one of these things where it's easier to see in someone else what's going on. But when something's going on with you, like, basically, for me, what always happens is I feel like something is not right, but can't identify it until at some point, it's like, oh, that's what it is. And so I just didn't understand what was going on. I just thought it was one's lot in life to be miserable in grad (laughs) school, because, you know, many of my friends were also
0: miserable. Yeah, that's sort of, that's sort of the lore of physics grad school. Everyone sort of knows that, yeah, it's going to be miserable, but you got to get through it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't think it has to be that way. Other people have clearly have much better experiences, but for me at the time, I just thought it was sort of my lot in life to just suffer through grad school and then go off and do something else.
0: Were you able to see help in, in grad school? or was it afterwards that you were finally diagnosed and treated?
1: So the two incidents I can say, Uh, one is that I was never really diagnosed with depression, except uh, after I had my child. Uh, I apparently was diagnosed with postpartum depression, but the only way I really learned this was uh, at the six-week screening after my kid was born. Um, During the exam at some point, I had to hit, to the bathroom so i left and when i came back there was like there was just a sign on the door that says has ppd and so then when the midwife came by later she talked generally about you know oh you should probably be getting out of the house more and stuff like that but no one mentioned the word you have or the sentence you have postpartum depression there was just like a note on the door that said has ppd so when i walked back from the bathroom i was like Oh, you mean it's not normal to feel the way I've been feeling since (laughs) my kid was born? And, oh, these feelings are similar to the feelings I felt at these various earlier points in my
0: life. That's interesting. They didn't talk to you about it.
1: Yeah. so You had
0: to find out.
1: Right. So the whole thing about, like, maternal health care and stuff is, like, a topic for a whole other time. But, you know, basically... You sort of drop off a cliff after your kid is born. Anyway, so that was when <laughs> I first was like, oh, that's what's that's going what on. Is. Um, so my my spouse and I did see a therapist for like mm-hmm. three years. We were trying to negotiate a lot of issues. Like someone close to my spouse had died by suicide and it was a huge blow. When We were both stressed out with our careers and we were suffering under the weight of a lot of big things. And we were trying to figure out how to get two jobs, permanent jobs together in the same place. And so we really needed someone to sort of help facilitate a discussion and help us work through things. And so we did see someone for three years. So even though we weren't talking about depression and stuff then, just having a weekly time to talk to someone and talk through issues and how we were feeling about things was really helpful. So I would say even though it was never diagnosed with depression for say we did have three years of professional help professional help yeah which was so helpful important
0: yeah is it talked about is that kind of thing talked about among you or your friends or your colleagues um I'm I'm trying to yeah. get at the stigma of mental health yeah
1: um some
0: probably not nearly enough but so it seems like you don't have maybe any personal experiences at least not in grad school of how students or professors were treating you as a scientist? You don't feel like they were maybe treating you any differently or I didn't feel it directly, but what I will say is that my
1: friends, my women friends and I tended to wear a uniform of jeans and very baggy sweatshirts to essentially avoid too much In the way of male gazes.
0: I'm sorry, what? Yeah, it was sort of our
1: uniform. And I'm not sure if it was that we were just trying to fit in with the guys who were wearing similar things, similar things, or just trying to deflect attention. But basically, my uniform for grad school was jeans and like a sweatshirt. Interesting. It wasn't until like much later that I started wearing anything other than that (laughs) around
0: do you feel like your your male colleagues, other graduate students, and, and professors, postdocs, etc., do you feel like they were treating you like peers? Like a peer?
1: Uh, I think so. Like, again, I didn't really have, like, the framework or language to understand gendered or racial or, or any sort of differences in treatment. That just wasn't something that I was, like, really aware of as a grad student for better or worse. It wasn't until a lot later where I was like, oh, you know, the fact that I didn't feel like I could ever wear a dress, you know, maybe that that was something. But I did feel respected. I mean, I was in student government at as a grad student. I was part of the department's like graduate leadership committee. I always felt like the faculty interacted with me with respect.
0: I felt respected by other grad students Great. Yeah. Which yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, and then you you go on to have these these two postdocs. Mm-hmm. Um, and what were these postdocs like? So my
1: first postdoc, um, it was in a theory group where like half the postdocs were women, which was pretty um, unusual. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that time was really interesting. So again, it was one of these experiences where I was just so surprised to have women colleagues because I'd never really had been around that many other women
0: yeah. physicists. Going back really really quickly in, in graduate school did you have any women in your group or in your classes?
1: Um, So my class had like the for physics had like the record number of women in it which was five. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so I mean so I had friends who were women physicists but um and for a short period i worked in a group where the pi was a woman just for sort of a side project Mm -hmm. i did another side project with another woman faculty person in a different department Um, but i was never really in a place where there were more than just like a
0: scattering of
1: women about until later yeah
0: until basically your postdoc
1: yeah cool
0: so, okay, so now you find yourself in this position where half, half the postdocs mm-hmm. are women. Yeah. So it's like a handful of...
1: Yeah, so, but the dynamics were weird because my husband was a professor in sort of this broader research group, too. So he wasn't obviously my supervisor, but, um, you know, his group and another group, and then a bunch of postdocs who are around there... Sort of had the bi- a sort of big meta group. I don't know. Yeah, um, and so that was an interesting time because I started working on new directions and suddenly had all these women colleagues, um, and I finally I felt like I was starting to develop a research voice of my own. But the thing that was challenging for me, and you know, one of the sources of imposter syndrome is that my husband is significantly more famous than I am successful, and so I had severe imposter syndrome related to the fact that for a long time I just felt really inferior to him, and sometimes people would also treat me like I was sort of like the tag-along. So that made me feel super bad about myself a lot, that I was like, well, who would hire me when they could have him, or, you know, there are all these dynamics around that. Um, on the flip side, I only really got this postdoc because this institution wanted to hire my husband and so they created like a postdoc job for me so that we would move there mm-hmm. And at that point I wasn't I was really struggling in grad school and I, I don't think I would have gotten a postdoc otherwise because I was applying to postdocs with having no publications and having changed topics and I mean, probably if I hadn't been married to him, it would have been game over at that point. So, you know, it was this double-edged thing where I had this opportunity because of him, but always felt like people didn't treat me the same way that they treated him. Mm -hmm. So that was difficult to negotiate. And it took until my late 20s to finally, like, let go of all of
0: that. Yeah, that sounds like a difficult thing to cope with because it's so easy to doubt yourself as a physicist, especially in these very, like, formative years like, grad school postdoc yeah um so good for you for getting over that
1: <laughs> yeah I mean it was I mean it was not it was a process it wasn't instantaneous but I bet. at some point realizing that
0: yeah anyways were there, were there things that helped you feel like you were you know high quality scientist in and of yourself
1: um so there are a couple of things that happened one is that I had this talk with my dad once where I told him that I basically was feeling like garbage all the time because I felt like people didn't treat me the same way they treated my husband. And he was like, well, you know, you're not him, but also how do you think all of your younger siblings felt with you? He was like, you were this type A driven person who like skipped all these grades and always got high marks in classes. Uh, how do you think your siblings felt? And yet they all have found things to do. So, you know, mm-hmm. so that was really helpful. The other thing is that, um, you know, I started publishing papers and started getting recognized for my own work. And my second postdoc I got because of me instead of him. And so it was very validating to get a job which was not associated with mm-hmm. my spouse.
0: Who else did you talk to about this imposter syndrome and and what kind of things helped or didn't help?
1: I mean, I didn't even know what imposter syndrome was until probably I was 30 years old. So I didn't, wasn't really able to talk about it using that language. Right. You didn't have the vocabulary for it. Yeah. Um, You know, I did talk with, you know, some of my friends in grad school, especially my women friends about how they were feeling about things. I would say that my my cohort in grad school i would say a lot of them had more negative things go on than than what i was feeling but we talked about like what was going on
0: how we were feeling about grad school did you ever talk to any faculty about your experiences um so you know there were a
1: couple of times so one point one thing in particular happened when I was a postdoc I was applying for faculty jobs and actually this one place had solicited my husband to apply and also brought me out for an interview too Um, and it was really a little early for me to be on the faculty job market but the best way to get a faculty job is to have a faculty job because once one university has like stamped their seal of approval on you that you're worthy to be hired as faculty suddenly there's this huge black market of other places trying to
0: steal you yeah (laughs) which is kind of that's uh, interesting oh
1: yeah so it's (laughs) yeah so there's this one place that was really trying to lure my husband so they also brought me out and then like an hour before my job talk the like director of this place and uh, basically told me that I was too stupid to be hired at their institution at the faculty level and that maybe I could have more of a teaching position and learn some physics and then maybe in a few years they would like revisit the situation and so I freaked I mean I did my talk it was fine afterwards that person was like oh I didn't realize you worked on that and I was like oh my god yeah
0: my jaw just dropped yeah that's that's horrific
1: yeah it was like very upsetting. So, uh, so at that point, I was I sent my Ph.D. advisor this basically like wall of text. I was like, this is just what happened to me. I don't know what to do. Like, I am really freaking out here. And he sent me back a really like encouraging note where he was like, look, that place doesn't consider me to be a real physicist either. Even though I'm on their like governing board, they wouldn't hire me. So. Don't feel too bad. They have a very specific idea of who a physicist is. Uh, so he said something to the effect of "success is the best revenge." Fast forward five years later, I'm now on the faculty. I get a phone call from the same person saying, "Hey, uh, would you like a faculty job at my institution?" <laughs> you know,
0: but are you was, kidding? No. Oh <laughs> like, my god! Literally, cold called me, and I was like, um, "Was it? A, was this a man?" Of course. Was he? So this guy, so this this man, yeah, um literally degrades you right, right. before you go in to give this talk, which right. is where you're trying to prove that you are doing valuable work. Right. You are a good physicist and you're worthy of being considered yeah. and hired as faculty. Afterwards says, "Oh, I didn't know what I was talking about." More Looks like, yeah. I didn't know what you were going to talk about, right? Yeah. Um and then you do become successful and then he has the gall to call you up. Yeah and say, hey, how about you work with me? Yeah, and so, um, you know, the first
1: thing I did was try not to laugh uh, during the call, and I was like, no, I'm very happy in my job. By the way, here are some great women postdocs who you should probably think about hiring. P.S. I'm not sure they've actually hired any women faculty there since. They make this big deal about being a woman-friendly place, but when you actually look at their faculty listing they have like the walk does not match the talk shall Mm -hmm. we say anyway so at that moment I remembered my advisor's comment uh that success was the best revenge and I was like you know he is he's actually right about that
0: (laughs) I like that yeah and good for you it worked out (laughs) yeah did you report his behavior in any formal way no I didn't I mean it is true that I still I've talked to
1: other people I know there where I've been like hey, people, if you actually want to support women physicists, you should actually hire some, especially at your senior levels. Uh, do you realize how bad this looks? And also, maybe the way you're looking at candidates is wrong, and you should change it. So I've sent several emails to that effect and had personal conversations with people there. I don't know if anything's changed.
0: Uh, when you say you think that the way they're looking at candidates is, is maybe not the most effective, what were you... What kinds of things are you looking, thinking about? Often. uh, Uh, And these are for faculty candidates? Yes. There's this idea of genius
1: and also productivity. You know, how many papers you write and what type of physics is considered prestigious. And so this place definitely has all three things I feel like are things that they sort of cut on. Um, I mean, I don't know because I haven't, you know, seen how the sausage is made there. But just looking at the outcomes, I would say that's sort of how they and how they brand themselves. That seems likely. Um, And it's also the case that when there are women or even men uh, who I know who are applying for jobs there at any sort of level, I do talk to them about it. I'm like, look. I'm like, hopefully things have changed in the past X number of years. But I just want to let you know that my worst professional experience of my life took place there.
0: Yeah, heads
1: up. Um, And I know women who've been successful there, but, you know, they also feel the... I mean, I don't want to speak for them, but um, you can just, like, see with your eyes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So if you could go back to that experience where this guy says this thing to you right before you give a talk... What do you wish had happened afterwards? Like, if you could go back, if people could behave differently, or if there was some institutional change or some means to report him directly or something, what could you imagine?
1: Um, I think given uh, who I was at the time, I am not sure I would have done anything different. I just didn't. I mean, aside from the long, you know, missive to my advisor and then just talking with my husband about it at, like, great length, I'm just not sure what I would would have done differently now. So now I feel sort of, because of where I am, I have, you know, I haven't reached out to this person directly, but I've told talked with other people there and been like, the way you all are operating is not really...
0: Great. <laughs> yeah, and I think you said this guy was, he was like the director of something? He yeah.
1: Was... Of this institution or of this department. So.
0: Um, so he was like the head person yes. in this department who came and told yeah. you, a postdoc applying for a job.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if something like that were to happen now, to me, I would, you know, be lodging complaints and feeling much more sure about myself. In doing so, but at the time, like, I already was feeling not great about myself, and I just, like, was totally blindsided, and I just didn't really know what to do.
0: So, we talked a little bit about uh, some of your post-doc experiences. Do you want to mm-hmm. talk more about
1: yeah. what's going on there? Yeah, so, I mean, I feel very fortunate in that I have not been sexually harassed, and I haven't really been... Uh, bullied um, and most of the things that I make me super paranoid about being a woman in physics are much more subtle than overt sexual harassment or you know emotional abuse or verbal abuse but I have seen the effects on my friends and colleagues and it's incredibly corrosive so while I was a postdoc One of my good friends was just constantly being bullied by people in her community. And at the time, I was like, why don't you just report these things? You know, I was like, this is clearly not okay. Like, why haven't you reported these people? Or when people ask you directly, is this person a problem for you? Why don't you say yes? Now, in retrospect, now knowing what I do now and really understanding much more about the situation, uh, I understand that she would have been retaliated against and staying silent at the time was her form of protecting herself but she's not like the only person you know stuff was happening to uh i talked you know i would talk to my office mate about events that she had witnessed or um or heard of and so we were talking much more about bullying and harassment when i was a postdoc and I just realized how much stuff was going on, and it made me sort of reframe how I thought about, you know, things happening earlier. Um, But uh, there was one person who was, faculty person, who was very problematic in terms of bullying and sexual harassment, where nothing seemed to be happening. And after I left that institution, I sent their Title IX office an email saying, hey, There's this person who's a problem. You should keep an eye on that person. And also, when that institution was having their external review, um, I did contact the external review board and tell them that there were sort of systemic problems. Part of it was also that our two-body negotiations had just gone catastrophically poorly at that place, and so I felt like there were some structural issues which fed into that. And so I basically sent them a big missive about there's this one person who's a, specifically a problem, there's more generally a problem in this area, and also institutionally there are problems. Um, it turns out that the person who I specifically named thought that someone else had lodged this complaint and retaliated against that person, not realizing that it was I who'd, who'd made that complaint.
0: And you found about this about this afterwards. Yes, and I felt awful, but. And that friend of yours, is she still in physics? <laughs> Amazingly so. <laughs> that is actually amazing. Yes. Good for her. Yeah. Um, I hope. <laughs> so you you're a postdoc. Your friends are telling you these stories. Um, how does that make you feel all the time?
1: Uh, I was confused a lot and also it just felt powerless the thing that was even more demoralizing was when that same place was doing another search that i'd faculty search and i had applied for that job and not gotten the time of day but they were trying to hire someone else and some of the people in that community had told me that they had either been on the receiving end of harassment or had watched their friends be harassed by this person, and they felt very uncomfortable with this person potentially being hired and coming in with authority over them. Um, And yet that person was hired anyways. Um, And so I felt uh, unhappy and demoralized about that.
0: Do you think the people who were hiring knew about these stories? Oh, they did. They just didn't care. It's sort of an open secret that this person harasses women Um. but
1: I was still very like really demoralized that they that this institution went still despite the fact that several women not just there but they got what I heard from other people is that they had outside people calling in be like hey what do you guys think that you're doing hiring this person and yet they just like we're like, well, maybe we should. We'll just hire him, but tell him that we're keeping an eye on him, and he better not do this again.
0: So. So not only did he like not lose his job or prestige, yeah, he actually got a job. Yeah. In spite of, yeah, a bunch of allegations. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And you said that made you feel um, confused and powerless and demoralized. Was that just for the institution or was that for physics as a whole?
1: At that point, I viewed it more through an institutional lens rather than an issue in the field. I now have a more field-centric view. Um, Why is that? Well, because this person has been really successful in that job and has many collaborators in many places. So a lot of people are working with this person despite knowing... Or maybe they don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like, one of the things we talked about before the in- the interview mm-hmm. and part of the inspirations for this project was just that a lot of, especially men, just don't know any of these stories and are surprised to hear
0: Right. things. And so
1: maybe that, you know, these collaborators are totally clueless. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just don't know.
0: And what is what is your take on physics culture as a whole? Do you have things about it that you would see you would like to see change or
1: uh yeah so i mean the field has a whole like prestige fetish and also um you know there have been studies published that show that um, fields that have more of a fixed mindset rather than growth mindset tend to be wider and more male than fields that have more of a growth mindset and that is has been definitely shown in the case of physics You know, you hear people use words like excellence, raw horsepower, etc. You know, and it is true that different people have different strengths, but it's also true that people have to grow their strengths. So like the example that I give um, when I teach is like Olympic athletes are clearly very gifted individuals, but they didn't just sit around eating potato chips and get to where they're going, but they work so hard all the time to really hone their skills and so the way to become really a rock star isn't just that you start out at some place but that you really put in the work to take what you've got and push as far as you can go I don't think physics really values the growth component I mean we say we do but like the way we teach physics hasn't really changed At like I don't know ever Right, (laughs) Uh, You know, and the thing is, like, you realize that science is done by people for people. And so physicists like to think they're objective and thus superior to everyone else. But, you know, why do we still teach lecture style when, like, every empirical study ever has shown that is the least effective way to teach anything? You know, it's because we've always done it. And clearly it must be the right way if you survived, that physicists complain about other people not using the scientific method or being objective, but physicists are definitely not objective when it comes to teaching or really thinking about the whole career arc or the field as a whole. So I wish that we would incorporate the scientific method into how we grow our community and teach the next generation of people and also just generally that people treat each other with some amount of
0: kindness would also be <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that would be good that sounds good <laughs> yeah <laughs> and one thing another thing i kind of like to ask people is about their sense of belonging mm-hmm. uh it sounds like you had this incredible early success and now you're you know a professor um and your dad was a scien- or your dad mm-hmm. was a scientist Actually, both of my parents are now, but my mom got a somewhat later start. So do you feel like you like personally identify as being either a scientist or a physicist?
1: Yeah, I do. But I still carry around this weight of imposter syndrome. So I'm currently, in, I would say, feeling that. I'm about to give a talk soon at a uh, prestigious place, and I'm like, oh my god, what am I going to talk about? I've achieved nothing, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so I'm
0: currently feeling this, like, this stress of feeling. Right, even as a soon-to-be-tenured professor. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I'm not sure if it will ever go away. Uh, I definitely feel more confident
1: in calling people out on their BS and trying to uh, help along some institutional change. Uh, But I still... You know, this weight of imposter syndrome, I'm not sure will ever totally leave.
0: In terms of your identity as a, within the physics community, do you mm-hmm. feel like you belong in the community as a whole?
1: Um, I do, but there, again, it's always this like nagging thing of like, why don't people cite my work? Do they not cite it because I'm not famous enough, if I'm not male enough? There's always this whisper of like, why compared to male colleagues do I feel always like kind of paranoid And I'm not sure if that is related to the fact that I'm female or the fact that I got into my field in sort of a, through a slightly unusual route. Or if I'm just not publishing high-impact papers, but I'm always just like wondering what's going on. And I haven't really talked to too many people about it, so... I mean, my husband and I talk about it like he sometimes wonders why some of his papers are just not ever cited. And so we talk about that. It's like, well, sometimes you feel like you have to go on a publicity tour for your paper, which is definitely true. You do kind of have to go on a publicity tour if you're not, you know, the default one or two most famous people for some subfield. Um, and we're just not traveling as much because we have a small child. So we do talk about some of these things. and I talk about it with some other people as well. But I always have this like lingering, you know, just these lingering questions. Right. That
0: sounds very distracting. It is really distracting. Yeah. And I, I ask that question. I ask that question of almost everyone who comes in here because I'm curious. But I also wonder, you know, you you see your, you see your friends and women colleagues making complaints Mm -hmm. you see them being vocal about it Mm -hmm. and you see that the people they're making complaints about are still getting collaborators and still Mm -hmm. getting these nice positions Mm -hmm. Do do you feel like that has an impact on how you feel like you belong in the community or your value I guess I don't think about it too much
1: um, to me, my instinct is always like, okay, that means I have to fight harder, but you get tired of fighting, too, or I get tired of fighting, but to me it's like, okay, that means I just have to fight harder on these fronts. I think in some ways the fact that you are starting to hear more about these incidents is actually progress, and the fact that people are starting to be penalized for bad behavior is progress, and it's interesting, like, uh, we were watching some documentary as a family and a famous astrophysicist who was essentially fired showed up and it, this is like a 20 year old documentary and we're like, ah, this bad person <laughs> is back. And my kid is like, we'll keep asking me. He's now like, what happened to that bad person? I want to drop him in a black hole. I'm like, well, that's, that's maybe like a little like too severe. But, uh, uh-huh. but I think that is helping. You know, you see in other fields where harassers still... You know, maybe it's public now, but they haven't been punished, or you still hear a lot of whispers. You know, as many problems as, like, physics has, I feel like there are places where it's still much worse. Like, the New York Times had this whole series about women working at, like, Ford factories. Oh, right. And so I think things are still, physics has a
0: lot of work to do, but a lot of fields have a lot of work to do. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much for for sitting down with me and talking about these things. I really appreciate your perspective. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach out about the project, please send an email to voicesandphysicspodcast at gmail.com.